0: To Lifting Leaders podcast, where we're unleashing leader possibilities to make a better world. I'm Tricia Ryan, and together with Crystal Roberts, we're diving deeper into some of the complexities of the world's most critical challenges and exploring innovative ways of navigating through them.
1: Through interviews with experts and leaders just like you, we are exploring what it takes to thrive as a leader today and examining new ways of thinking about how to creatively lead into a more equitable, Socially responsible and sustainable future, and the future starts now. Hi, Trisha. How are you doing today? I'm
0: doing great. Crystal, how about yourself? I'm doing really great. The sun is shining. I can't believe it. It's amazing, isn't
1: it? It's February. (laughs) It's February. Although I did hear we're going to probably get some snow. Don't say
0: it. Don't say it. Yeah, but I'll
1: I'll love the sun at least even while it's cold outside. Yeah. So I'm really excited because today we have a special guest with us, Jeff McAuliffe, and he's going to help us explore how we can individually take positive action on how we are impacting our environment and how we can really love the earth. We're also going to explore how leaders have a unique role in this as we look at organizations. So Jeff McAuliffe is a coach and consultant with 35 years of experience in leadership development. Process improvement and organization effectiveness to help leaders achieve breakthrough results. His focus is coaching leaders, mentoring change agents, and supporting teams to create dramatic levels of improvement. Over the past 10 years, Jeff has focused his work on leadership team development and executive coaching. After spending decades as an internal and external coach and consultant, and Clouded in that luxury of obliviousness. I thought, (laughs) well, that's pretty interesting. I love that term, luxury of obliviousness. He is committed to positive action on issues of equity, social justice, and inclusion. Jeff was also a graduate faculty member at Saybrook University, formerly Leadership Institute of Seattle, for 14 years. When not at work, Jeff enjoys time in the natural world, backpacking and snowshoeing in the Cascades or kayaking on Lake Washington such a true Pacific Northwesterner. His mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. His current project is publishing a weekly newsletter called 52 Weeks of Earth Day. Mm-hmm. Jeff and his spouse live outside Seattle with three grown children scattered about the country. Oh. So welcome, Jeff. Thank you for being on Lifting Leaders podcast today.
2: Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's, it's a real pleasure to be here.
1: So we are really just going to jump right in trisha anything that you wanted to add before our first question you know i'm just really excited about this because what
0: jeff is all about is what we are all about here at this podcast we're all about making a better world and and how we do that is so terribly important wonderfully important so welcome jeff we're really glad to have you here today
1: yeah, that's and again. we really wanted to chat with Jeff because it's also consistent with our model around leadership, which is it all starts with us. It starts internally first. And so that's what's going to be really fun to hear about, too, is how, how it starts with us. So, Jeff, tell us your story, and you can answer this any way you like.
2: <laughs> so as I think about the thread today and what we're speaking about I want to start my story on April 22nd, in 1970, which was the first Earth Day, and so I was a sophomore in high school, and like most sophomores in high school, I was, you know, not much focused on anything but just having fun with my friends and trying to get good grades and whatnot. And uh, but our uh, our high school had a teach-in. I think that was, you know, kind of a '70s thing, right? You ever heard of teachings, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it it was an uh, an interesting day, and it wasn't really until the last couple of years when I did some really serious life reflection um, that I realized that that just uh, some major seeds that have been threads through my whole life yeah. were sown that day. And so, um, you know, when I, when I, if, if I were to think about one of those key threads in my life, I'd say that there's always been some aspect of being a change agent in terms of the, mm-hmm. just what I've devoted my time to, what I've, what I've worked with. And so that particular seed around Earth Day started into, um, Really, what I felt like some of my very first leadership work was when I was an undergrad in college, mm-hmm. and, I, and 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 uh, the thing that I actually enjoyed the most gave me the least amount of sort of academic credit or whatever. But it was something called the the student farm co-op, and we had mm. these big organic gardens, and uh, we composted huge amounts of uh, organic garbage from the various dining mm. co-ops on campus.
3: Yeah,
2: and I ended up teaching uh, student-run courses in organic agriculture. And that led to my very first job of working in the city of Pittsburgh with what you might call their p patch program. They called it their mm. uh, the Mayor's Garden Mobile program. So really the first, oh, I'd say eight to 10 years out of college was very much of being a, an activist around co-ops, around food, around organic agriculture, And it was all in service of, I realized going back, you know, this, just this sense of we need to be better stewards of the earth. Yeah. And also a little bit of kind of anti-capitalist stuff thrown in there as a young radical, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good for
2: you. So, and then, and then interestingly, that, that, that kind of took a shift when I ended up going back to grad school uh, uh, or not back, but to grad school, like, Eight years after I finished undergrad, I'd been doing this, um, you know, community activist type work. Um, I then started learning about accounting and finance and stuff Mm. because um, I realized that we had lots of people with high ideals all trying to make a difference in the world. But we not only were clueless about money and structure and how do these things work, we were, you know, we were sort of disdained it. It's like, that's what those capitalists do, you know? Like, we're we're into co-ops, we're into, you know, store workers' collectives and things like that. And so I went and started studying and then uh, became uh, a essentially a financial manager for nonprofits for a number of years. Oh, interesting. And then after doing that, I realized, uh, you know, it's kind of that career stuff. What was it uh, Richard Bowles used to talk about?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It was like, you're either into data or you're into people, or you're into things. I like, right. kind of talked about like what colors your balloon, right? That yeah. was a big thing that lasted for decades for career counseling. Mm-hmm. And I realized this accounting stuff was all about data. And it was like, I kind of liked having, you know, my books balance at the end of the month. <laughs> but it was actually pretty boring.
3: Mm. And
2: I realized that I'm much more interested in the people dynamics and organizations, which led me to grad school and in Leadership Institute of Seattle. And and that led me into, you know, for the next 35 years, all this work related to organization development, leadership development, process performance improvement, and things like that. And so, uh, and still, the, you know, the change agent piece was there. It was just putting it into a different context.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So I spent 10 years in a large aerospace company located somewhere in the Pacific Northwest <laughs> um, and, uh, and had a number of just fascinating roles there. And then I spent after that another eight and a half years at a large healthcare organization here in Seattle called Swedish. Mm. And um, oh, is that where we met? <laughs> and and uh, and and then um, what was it about 2006? I um, I'd had this vision in my life that that sometime in my life I would and it, particularly my picture was when 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 our kids are sort of off at school and and Christy and I are empty nesters, I had this picture that I'd love to have a kind of a part-time consulting coaching gig and, and also teach.
3: Mm-hmm. I had no idea
2: what that looked like. Yeah. So I was surprised when my alma mater called up and recruited me to say, we have a faculty position open, would you consider applying? Wow. And even though it came five years earlier than I'd planned, and that was a, a a big leap of faith to you know leave a corporate salary and go into a half-time teaching job which is for anyone that's been out there and teaching god bless you all my god it's like education <laughs> is so undervalued right
3: yes yeah.
2: and um and then hang my shingle and just you know but it 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 worked really well and so th- i would just say that's that's really been um one of the key threads in my life is just being a change agent. But the other one is that, you know, I personally had tried to keep up some of that work just in terms of my lifestyle around the environment. You know, I just, I love hiking. um, And being outdoors is kind of like my church, you know, it's, that's, that's where I get my, my spiritual nourishment. Um, But, um, but, you know, also I just realized that, um, working full time, raising a family, all that, it it gets to be a very full life. And so finally, when when the space emerged, I found myself back thinking and, frankly, worrying quite a bit just about um, where the world's going in terms of the larger issues of, um, you know, ecosystems and climate change and global warming. Um, Because we, I mean, we had known that. I mean yeah. I, I, that's something that I'd known and I I sort of realized here we are 40 50 years later and it's like suddenly people are kind of like oh that's right I guess we've got a problem and <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> I've just I've just found myself also as I as as I um kind of dial down the professional life um and thinking more about legacy and things like that and thinking like what will I be telling my grandkids, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. when hopefully if they if I'm blessed that they should show up <laughs> um, or or, you know, what what kind of legacy would I be leaving for my great grandkids? And I started just imagining yeah. what kind of world the later 21st century, you know, um, beings emerging in this world are going to what's what are they going to be facing?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. That's what
2: that's what led me to um, first Be very. um, What would I say? Um, Very caught up quite a bit in in my own uh, sense of despair, Mm. climate anxiety, yeah. Uh, And then and then um, and then realizing that I I I can't follow the path that was laid at least for my privileged white upper class upraising of, yeah. oh, yeah, well, you get to your 60s and 70s, and then you find your version of moving to Phoenix and golf for the rest of your life, you know? Right. So it's it's like, yeah. you know, as far as I'm concerned, we have a next 10, 15 years, we have a once-in-a-planet opportunity to make something big happen. Yes. I, and I just need to be part of that.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I love that. I love your passion, and I love I love that it has been a thread, and I think that it's important that now that you have this space that you've identified, hey, I have more time to dedicate to this and so I'm going to I'm gonna do that. We actually interviewed, I think you actually know her, Elizabeth Levitt. She was our environmental executive at the Port of Seattle uh-huh. and she actually retired and she had a similar path. She retired and then she said she was out for about a year and she just kept watching all this stuff and she's like, I cannot sit on the sidelines anymore. And she right. actually has gone back to consulting and really trying to be a part of the solution making things better yeah it's so interesting you know you were talking about you know people who 40
0: 50 years later people are going oh this is a real thing i'm a year behind you in terms of high school <laughs> and i okay. remember it was really important back when i was in high school everybody had a passion for doing something and and earth day was a huge thing you know and we would plant trees and clean up the area and plant, do all sorts of things. And, and I believe it was, it felt like a mission for our group or our school to be involved in that at the time. And mm-hmm. then we all started going to college and getting jobs and buying into the, you know, the new scenario. And it's interesting that many of them, I've reached out to a lot of them in the last maybe six, eight months, and they're all on board again but you know it it shouldn't be a fad it shouldn't be a fad but it kind of felt like a fad in a way you know it's like wow you know it was really fun to do back when we were in high school but it got a little uncomfortable when everybody started going to work and having children and all of that but it gets in the way right or you you choose what gets in the way i guess but um i thought that was really interesting when you were talking about that because that is the one thing that it's a thread that just kept coming back for you, it sounds like, you know, throughout your whole journey so far. And isn't it wonderful that you've been able to tap into that at different levels of your journey or different steps in your journey? It's very cool.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it it is easy to get distracted, I think, you know, in midlife and, and, you know, there's so many things takes precedence, and even just finding personal time, let alone hmm. time for community yeah. or things larger than yourself, oftentimes mm. is a stretch in our society these days, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. That's
0: wonderful. So why did you start the newsletter 52 Weeks of Earth Day? What started why I, that?
2: Well, okay, so... Uh, <laughs> So um, as I went through this reflection process that I mentioned about and realizing that I wanted to really do something, um, I, I'd never considered myself a writer. Um, I've I've always considered myself an artist in a certain way. I mean, I, I got an art degree way back in my undergrad and uh-huh. I've, I've played music off and on my whole life. Um, but in terms of writing, I think of that also as a, an art form and uh, it's just been in the last couple of years, through a different, uh, just through a different organization, that I've, that requires some writing as being part of it. That I've come to realize that oh, I, I think I actually do have a, a voice. I think I can. I mm-hmm. think I can do more than just simply report. I can, I can bring a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so last May I came to the conclusion. Actually, last April or so, I came to the conclusion that I wanted to test this out. So. On April 22nd, last oh, year, nice. I wrote my very first LinkedIn article called 52 Years of Earth Day, which because it was the 52nd anniversary. Mm, clever. <laughs> and, well, I mean, it just, it just so happened to be that. And, yeah. and it was a short, sweet little article that just basically said, you know, folks, it's, it's, it's that time of month, and people are thinking about cleaning trash out of parks. And it was kind of a, a challenge to, can we up the ante we need to up the ante, folks. Um, and so, I just sort of did it as an experiment and kind of watched what that was about. And then I wrote another article on a whole different topic around uh, titled "Why Am I a Racist?"
1: Mm-hmm. Really,
2: more on sort of some of my my own journey and my and my my desire and commitment around trying to create just more equitable outcomes in our society. Mm-hmm and and uh coming to terms with my own privilege and and, and upper class white straight male you know n- name all the privileges I, you know that's me and um so uh and just just you know my my own work through that work and um and that was an interesting beginning but then i just felt mm, okay so now what am i going to do and i it just after a while 52 52 and then i just thought Okay, this is the idea I need to, you know, through actually some some suggestions from a friend who's also written some some a couple of books, actually, he suggested you've just got to get into a rhythm of doing something. You've got to just get into a rhythm and a pattern that just says you're writing on a regular basis. So Mm -hmm. then I it just sort of became a natural 52 weeks. And so the and then it was just sort of facing, can I really do this? Do I want to do it? Um and jumping in, uh, in October and starting that. And, uh, I tell you, it has, it has been a game changer in my life. Um, the amount of sort of creative energy that I felt like it has released in me, that was, that's Hmm. been sort of caught up around that anxiety and that concern. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's gotten me way more focused. I mean, I probably spend at least one day a week, just researching, doing the research work for right. the topic that I'm gonna do just to get more and more into it and finding different sources and different perspectives on whatever each week's topic is. And and, and just for folks listening, the, the whole idea behind 52 Weeks is taking this big, scary bugaboo called climate change that I think is easy to get, it's big, it's overwhelming, yeah. I don't even know where to start, is just to say, get it down to some very bite-sized chunks that are, that yeah. are, um, that have some content, that have some reflection questions, mm-hmm. and have some action ideas that you can do at an individual level. Um, I was kind of inspired. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, I hope I don't butcher her name, Leila Sad's book called White Me and White Supremacy,
3: mm-hmm. but
2: she's got this book that's a 28 day workbook for. It's, it's very clearly directed to white people
3: yeah.
2: who, want to, who are open to and want to explore the possibility of the ways that white supremacy might live in them. And it's a day-by-day workbook that has some content, some reflection, and then an action step. Hmm. And I really liked the format, and I liked the way that it was targeted. And I said, okay, mine is targeted for people who want to move from being a climate change bystander to a climate change agent. I it's love like, that very clear sort of focus of who it's directed to
0: yeah kind of the armchair person to actually doing it right
1: exactly the, the warrior the warrior to action yeah. I think that is so it's just so important I love that that it came from a passion and, and just sort of reflection on what can I do and I think our listeners will really appreciate that that there's something that you can do we're all about talking this year about hope and mm-hmm. we'll have some questions more about that in a little bit yeah. but it's pretty easy when you are watching the news, reading the articles, to lose hope. And so, I think oh, yeah. by taking some action, that does help you see that. Oh gosh, I can actually make a difference in my world, in in my my area, my community. Yeah, and that's important.
0: So, Jeff, in doing this, this is quite a commitment. I mean, it is a. It's not just one day of doing research. It's it's yeah. thinking about it and trying to draft it and 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 getting your feelings around it, right? So what else have you learned about yourself in this process?
2: Ooh, what a great question, Tricia, my gosh. Um, well, a couple of things. Uh, one thing is that, um, I mean, I've always known this, but just basically I'm a, I'm a, I, it confirms for me that even though I'm dialing down and quote the work world, I am still very much a deadline-driven person. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to get something done, I need to make a public commitment about something and I need to have a time frame to do it in because yeah. it's easy for me to just sort of chew on it and get theoretical. So um, uh, I've, I mean, I've learned a ton on the topic and and I continue to and I'm... and. It's one of these sort of classic, almost overused lines of the more I get into it, the m- I realize the less I know because it mm-hmm. is a very yeah. there's a whole lot of facets to this yeah. whole thing in any number of different angles. Um, one of the other things that I've really that I've really learned is just that um, well, I guess I'd carried an assumption that a certain level of passion around the work that I do, that that sort of a, a waning of that passion is just an. I think I carried an assumption that was part of the aging process, if you will.
3: Mm. Interesting.
2: And so, uh, one of the things I've learned is that I that it's just it's just so great to be really excited about things, and mm. that and that in my engagement through this work, uh, I'm absolutely changing my own story about what the future looks like. Um yeah. I think i was very much uh in a um apocalyptic sort of place about the future and i'm not necessarily saying that that's absolutely not going to happen i mean what happens is what's going to happen but but um i um but not without a fight amount of energy though, right it's generated. yeah, I'm sorry. Same. not
0: without a fight, though, right? So
2: oh, right. right. <laughs> just the amount of energy that has yeah. just I've gotten generated about this as well as as I generate this energy, I'm just I'm finding all these interesting connections just starting to show up as mm-hmm. this has grown,
1: yeah. You know, when
0: yeah. you say that, it makes me think about some of the younger people that today, and I hate to say it like that, but there are a lot of kids in high school and college right now who are really into this, I mean, seriously into this. And thankfully, mm. right, they're committed. Right. And they're he, they're listening to people who are, like, say, boomers, you know, baby boomers, because a lot of us lived during the beginning of this being a, a huge um, focus in the very beginning. And, yeah, we lost touch with it in some cases and um then are coming back to it but it's that historical perspective sometimes that shows them i think what worked well maybe it didn't work then but maybe it's going to work now and i love the the connection between the different generations in mm-hmm. in working on this together mm. it's yeah. wonderful
3: yeah
2: yeah i agree i, I agree trisha that they're I'm, I am finding out through this a, a more of a connection to what's happening within youth. And mm-hmm. it, it's also been a, a great point of connection with my youngest son, who's
3: mm.
2: actually, he's going to be a, a guest writer in a couple of weeks.
3: <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's <laughs> for, great.
2: For it. I sort of get a little bit of my window through younger generation. He's 29. I do get a bit of a perspective uh, from him about what is happening with that younger generation. I think it's fabulous, and I think it's all over the board. I mean, you have sort of traditionalists who want to sort of learn more and, and work through the system, and you have, I think, in any big social change, you, you need you need the whole range, yeah.
3: right? You need, yeah. you need yes. the
2: people who are working through the system and trying to make it happen. You need the people that are on the edges that are like a pushing and the people that are over the edge and and doing some fairly radical stuff. But, yeah. it's, you know, it's kind of like we, we, we love to glorify Martin Luther King, but you know it's like Malcolm X was just as important yes. during that whole era, and yeah, yes. you can see that in the women's movement. There's always been a, a fairly radical side to these these all these social movements, and so um, I'm just glad to see that 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 that's that seems very alive and well with the younger mm-hmm. generation.
1: Yeah,
0: it's wonderful. Yeah.
2: Oh, that whole spectrum, right?
0: Yes. yes.
1: We need it all. Right. We need it all. Well, as long as we're
0: all on this earth, my goodness, yeah. you know, you don't want people sitting on their rocking chairs waiting mm-hmm. for the rest of the world to, uh, you know, bring saving the earth to them or, you know, whatever social change that we have, we all have to be involved in that.
1: Yeah. And we all bring our unique um, talents to it as well. Mm-hmm. So we're all we're all different. Exactly. So there's a place for all of it. So kind of getting to your, your newsletter, I thought you could maybe draw from that or even talk about some things that you're pondering that haven't been in there. What would you say are a few tips that you have for others who are interested in starting their own or a family commitment to making a better world or making, um, yeah, making a better world? I'll st- stick with that.
2: Sure. Well, you know, this, this sounds really basic. But first and foremost, just bringing it into the conversation. There's a whole theory of change around the fact that basically our conversations form our world. And so if our conversations and our families are always about the weather or, you know, what the bowling score or the trivia pub night happened, you know, (laughs) whatever it was, then... We need those
1: (laughs) two. I mean, I'm not saying we
2: don't. Right, right. Those are are all great social bonding (laughs) things and things like that. But so, so, um, you know, I I think that certainly from a family perspective with with people with younger kids, you know, parents modeling and, you know, I was involved in a a recent, just a, you know, a classic, we're we're cleaning up, I I live up in the Shoreline area. So Richmond Beach is near us. It's a beach that that's on Puget sound there. And, you know, there's a whole local group combined with shoreline parks that goes and is restoring that whole beach area mm-hmm. because it was, it was pretty nice. devastated and a lot of invasive species. And they're really trying to sort of bring it back to what it was. And it needs a little bit of tending and care and a lot of volunteers. And I just loved going out there to seeing these families that are bringing their kids out to yeah. just, um, you know, just, they, clearly they they were these were folks that um gardening wasn't a regular part of their life and just just being with kids and getting your hands in dirt mm-hmm. oh my gosh Yep.
1: and they love it right yeah it's a fun oh, absolutely. adventure absolutely
2: absolutely yeah. right yeah and um so so you know i i think there's certainly ways of bringing that in i think there are ways that that families can just model it in terms of you know there it's it's as Sometimes it's as simple as what do you do with your green waste and and why does it matter that you put it in the like here in Seattle, I know not every one that listens to this necessarily has green waste as part of their waste collection system. yeah, but if you've got it, it makes a big difference that your green waste goes in there versus in the trash mm-hmm. because um, a big part of methane in our environment comes out of landfills from food waste going into. Landfills instead of going to be composted. I mean, something as simple as that. Or even, even the toilet paper that you use. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, (laughs) that may sound kind of crazy, but, but most particularly fluffy, nice toilet paper is made from quote, virgin timber. Mm -hmm. And we're basically mowing down boreal forests, old growth forests in Canada to bring you nice fluffy toilet paper. Versus finding toilet paper that's made out of post consumer um you know recycled, and mm-hmm. it makes a big difference in terms of our forests and things like that, yeah, and so just even knowing that and just have just having having rituals in your life where it's just it's clear that we do things this way because it makes a difference,
3: wow. Yeah.
0: You know, and you brought something up that was really important that I think a lot of us don't think about, and that is the the whole paper product idea, you know, paper towels. Mm -hmm. You know, I am Mm -hmm. the worst. I am the worst, but now I'm, now I will not be the worst. I am going to change my (laughs) ways. No, it's, sometimes you have to hear it out loud to, you know, make that change, but it's um, so important. So important. Wow. So I have a long one for you. Okay. Okay. Leaders hold a critical leverage point in organizations to serve employees and to make the organization more successful, like, like carrying out the mission and, and creating a vision mm-hmm. and meeting with their goals. So with what you have learned over the many years you have spent as a coach and organizational development practitioner, what do you want them to know about their role in making a better world? And what are one or two practical steps or actions that they can take to accomplish this, or at least move in the right direction?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've got uh, a handful of thoughts here, but let me let me just start with leadership of self. So, one one of the things that I've had the great benefit of um, doing is partnering with an organization called Knowles. Um, it, it used to stand for National Outdoor Leadership School. Now it's just Knowles mm. because it's not national. It's international. Mm. And these are the folks who are the world experts in leadership development through wilderness expedition. Mm. Okay. And they take everyone from high school students to NASA astronaut teams out in the wilderness as a, and, and build leadership development practices into what they do one of the things that i uh, really appreciate about Knowles is they have four different leadership roles that they define one is called leadership of self one is called peer leadership active followership
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and designated leadership and i'm guessing as you speak you're primarily referencing designated leadership we're thinking about like folks that have management roles in organizational hierarchies. Right. Where you have role authority, you're leading teams, you're you're doing this kind of thing. But I also appreciate on 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 your description of lifting leaders that you say but we see everyone is a leader and We do. So we do. think of designated leaders yeah. as folks where the act of leadership is mandatory. It's not like you can choose to turn it off or turn it on, right? Right.
3: That's yeah. part of
2: leadership. But I still believe that leadership of self is just one of the most critical elements for any designated leader, anyone in a management position in organizations. Um, leadership is a performance art, people are constantly watching your feet, they don't, yeah. they don't, they, they listen to what you say. But more importantly, they're watching your feet. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about leadership of self, I'm thinking about the ability to self regulate emotionally in a po- in a moment of crisis. The ability to um, understand your own hair triggers so that you can actually find the pause button before you go on autopilot and do things that you may or may not wish you did later. Mm -hmm. Those aren't things people are born with. Those are trainable skills. And we know that. We know that's out there in terms of whether it's a contemplative or meditative practice or, or other ways that people find. The way I think about it is a good leader in this sense has the ability to really understand their internal experience at any point in time. What am I thinking? What am yeah. I feeling? What do I want in this moment? And then at the next level is able to communicate effectively with someone else
3: mm-hmm.
2: that experience yeah. and stay in a relationship. So it's yeah. both a, this is what's true for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm clear about what's going on in my own experience. And I can be open to yours and we can find where we meet.
3: Yeah.
2: So. One of one of my favorite descriptions of leadership is from uh, a a man named Edwin Friedman, who was a um, he's passed now, but he was a, a family therapist, family systems therapist, and a rabbi who then hmm. applied a lot of these thoughts to leadership. And one of my favorite quotable quotes about leadership is is his that says, uh, "Leadership is is." Is having a non-anxious presence in an anxious environment.
3: Oh, mm-hmm. yes! Wow! Yeah.
2: So when I think about that, I just I think that is just core and foundational for any leader in any, particularly you know a a management role. Mm-hmm. It's like a non-anxious presence because organizational environments now are I don't know of any that are not anxious environments. Yeah.
0: yeah. And more as so as we get today. more VUCA
2: in the world, right? Rice. Volatile, yeah, uncertain, right. complex, ambiguous. Yeah. The environment continues to get more and more anxious. Mm-hmm. So that requires an antidote for leaders to be non-anxious. Yeah,
1: love it. And and to so that's, ho- the, hopefully, that's my first thought. Yeah, and hopefully create that. Hold it for themselves, but hold it for their teams as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, mm-hmm. to help them to be able to work in a non-anxious environment.
0: Helping them, but also being the point of reference. I think, you know, when I'm an employee, my point of reference is often the person I report to. And so to have (laughs) somebody above me who's able to hold that space and to Mm -hmm. be able to, um, who's definitely on board with how they feel and how they interact with other people, and they have the, the wherewithal to control it you know I think that's amazing yeah. right and it, mm-hmm. it, it becomes a wonderful point of reference yeah. so then you see more of that below you right
3: yeah yeah
2: yes yes absolutely yeah. the, the, the other point I just wanted to make yeah. is over those decades of work in at Boeing at Swedish in my own practice later I've just been involved in countless different sort of change projects and uh Implementations and 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 whatnot, and it's actually as a result of all that work that has led me in the last part here of my my professional life is really focused on leadership teams and coaching leaders because it, ultimately, I guess my learning from I don't know how many projects was that all roads lead to leadership around whether those things failed mm-hmm. or succeeded. Right.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, there's lots of other change barriers that show up but i would say that the common denominator with all of them typically really led to leadership and leadership behavior and and i'd say probably the one behavior that i experienced more than i'd like to admit is uh just just this sense of this is particularly i guess directed to people who are either new in a leadership role or coming in from the outside into an organization, either new from the outside or promoted up.
3: Yeah.
2: And I think there's a natural tendency when you're in the spotlight, you come in as a new leader. uh, You want to make your mark. You want to just, you want to sort of prove your, your, your worth. And I have seen countless wonderful change projects go down the tubes because someone new came in. Yeah. They said, I don't understand why we're doing it this way. We're going to do it my way. And mm-hmm. then they just unravel
3: yeah.
2: weeks, months, years of yeah. efforts that made demonstrable data-driven improvements yeah. just because they didn't get it. And yeah. I've also seen leaders who come into a new role and say, my job here is to listen
3: mm-hmm.
2: and to really just understand what's the environment I'm coming into. It's like, I need to really get this and learn before I quote, make my mark. Yeah. And so I guess if I were to be advice giving, which they say coaches never do, (laughs) but if I was to be advice giving, it would be if you're new in a role, put your ear to the ground and listen real closely before you, you start quote, shaking things up. Yeah.
0: That's such good advice. You know, it's something someone once told me when I was in my very first leadership role, um, to be a sponge,
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> yep,
0: and it it helped a lot. You know, every time I started to say something because I had to try and prove myself as a leader, I'd stop for a second, and ninety nine times out of a hundred, I'd learn something new that I needed mm-hmm.
1: to make my next decision. So it was really good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I think it takes courage to have that patience mm-hmm. because I think it's actually easier, mm-hmm. even though you get. You know, some negative response, it's easier to come in and just be like, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to change, just fall in line. Of course, we know that doesn't actually work, (laughs) but it feels easier than to listen and then have to kind of accept the things that are actually working and then work with the team to make the change into a more positive direction. And a lot of times the team already knows that. But if you haven't g- gained their trust by listening to them, then they're not going to want to move in that direction that you want to go anyway. It's kind of like living in right. your discomfort, yeah, you know, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So great. Mm. Love that. So hope questions. So given that we have a new focus, um, not that we weren't always trying to be hopeful, <laughs> but really feeling like this year we want to really kind of look through this lens of hope for 2023. We're asking all of our guests this same couple of questions around hope. So where do you see signs of hope in the world today? Mm, mm -hmm.
2: Boy, well, getting back to a conversation that we had earlier, I I have an inordinate amount of hope in millennial Gen Z folks who are um, coming up, so to speak, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, I I'm I'm just find myself very uh, heartened yeah. by what, what what seems to be the energy the passion um, and so that's that is a very much of a, a a bright light for me and I guess the other the other thing as well is is um, particularly around this whole climate change piece is that I do feel like something has shifted in the last twelve to twenty four months. Mm. of sort of going along going along going along and it was just this fringe thing and then now suddenly it's like boom it seems to be in the news it's everywhere it's in the conversation it's you know the the, the folks involved in a lot of the sort of the the change leadership field talk about change readiness and when is when mm-hmm. when is it actually going to start is the change readiness going to have its critical mass to really start moving and i feel yeah. like we've hit that critical mass
1: yeah
0: it's almost um, like when it's in its darkest hour, right, that's when you start seeing a, a need for change.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Right, yeah. right. And so I am very heartened by that. And I still, it, it's, I, I don't necessarily harbor the, the, the solid conviction that we're now, quote, gonna, quote, make it through or not. I mean, I don't even know what that really means. Because I, I, I mean, it's it's clear that it's not like climate change is something in the future. It's
1: right now. Right. It is happening yeah. right now. Right.
2: And I think the only real question is, how much more extreme is it going to get? Mm-hmm. So so in that respect, um, I, 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 I feel like I don't hold out sort of, you know, like, like hope for, let's say, are we going to be able to maintain 1.5 degrees cent, uh, Fahrenheit or centigrade, yeah. excuse me, Yeah. or Celsius, right? Maybe you know this. This is what the the media is always sort of playing with. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, we think we can make one point five. Oh, AI <laughs> says we can't make one point five. We're going to go to two. We're going to go to three. You know, it's like yeah. And um, so, you know, that's all. That's all just um, the level of uncertainty in the world just continues to accelerate. I think. So for me, hope is about a stance as we just go into the unknown.
3: Hmm. I
2: mean it really is because it's like I know <laughs> there's a there's a particular framework that that comes out of Buddhist philosophy that talks about hope and despair are two sides of the same coin.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that you can very easily get on this roller coaster of falling into despair and then you get good news, oh, I feel really good about it, and then you get the bad news ah, in it. Yeah. And it can be very much of an emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And so and I, and I think that's a that's a sort of an angle on hope that um, is not particularly healthy. Um, at least for me, certainly, because I've seen myself go through those 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 yeah. loops. I felt like that's where I was at when I was in that sort of despairing place around the climate. I've that despairing place led me to read more and then I'd read some things and I'd get really hopeful, and then I'd read other things, and I'd get really despairing again. And mm-hmm. I just found myself on this these shoots and ladders, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> of, of, of yeah. Of sort of like an emotional roller coaster. But yeah. I think it's I I think there's also hope that comes from a more fundamental place of just like, well, I guess my hope for myself is I can continue to be a non-anxious presence as the world mm-hmm. continues to get more anxious about all this. Right.
0: There you go. Yes.
2: And and that there's some sort of hope in just even being, creating an oasis where I, hopefully where I show up that, that feels like it's a, a buffer in whatever storm we're in. And, um, as well as a um, uh, uh, hope that it's just that it's 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 not too late to avoid the the, the potential worst aspects of where, yeah. where we might be going. Mm.
3: I'll
0: yeah. hold that hope with you. I agree yeah. with you. i yeah. I keep hoping that that somehow we're going to be at least turning a corner. It doesn't have to be all the way around. We just need to turn the corner. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah, wow, I love that. So looking forward, what are you excited about, and what are you what are you looking forward to? Is there something on the horizon you want to talk about?
2: Well, what i one of the things I'm excited about is uh, bear with me if I go on a, on a little sidetrack here. One of my good friends and colleagues, uh, his name is Dan Leahy. He has been working this metaphor around sort of transformation and transformation in society and and whatnot. And, and the metaphor is the metaphor of the caterpillar that goes into a chrysalis and then it emerges as a butterfly, but it isn't just at that simple level. I mean, he's really gone into sort of the, the whole bi- biology of it is very fascinating. But in the chrysalis, when things are both the caterpillar is melting down, literally, mm-hmm. there are these, quote, imaginal cells that start emerging that then... Um, this is the short form. It's a little longer than this, but, but then those imaginal cells Mm -hmm. start finding other imaginal cells so they can clump. And then within that clumping begins actually the structure of the future butterfly that's going to come out. Using that metaphor, I I agree with him that I think we are in a chrysalis right now. We're seeing a lot of things that are both melting down and some new stuff that's happening. And so what I'm finding through 52 weeks is the beginning of some clumping.
1: Oh my! What
2: I mean by that is not just simply, you know, being on my own and researching and writing this newsletter, but making connections with people, finding other initiatives that I want to hook into with them, and I think the the possibilities are vast.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But it but it's but it's only through this kind of this clumping of of of. Like-minded souls coming together and saying, "We think we can do something different here," and it's all very emergent. It's yeah. not. It's not like wow. it's a. What's my five-year plan for climate change? <laughs> it, 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 right. You no, know, it's 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 yeah. just happening. So, so in that respect, uh, this is something I'm really looking forward to see how this newsletter becomes not an end in itself, but just a stepping stone into something that could be much bigger
3: yeah
0: well i hope that this podcast episode is helping you as well i hope that that just getting the word out you know to other people gets people talking that yeah. would be wonderful
1: yeah oh wow so if people well, thank you. I, decided, I hope yeah. so too yeah <laughs> so if people want to clump with you <laughs> oh yeah i love that term clump with you how do they get in touch with you
2: all my contact information is on my LinkedIn page LinkedIn, if they okay. just want to look up Jeff McAuliffe on LinkedIn. great. Uh, also, I, I have a website, but my website is um, really not so much devoted to the climate change work. As it's a good descriptor of me about five years ago. Mm, okay, It's more along my professional work around uh, yeah. leadership development mm-hmm. and coaching and some process improvement stuff. So probably better to just to go to LinkedIn and hit the contact information, or just, okay. um, and oh, wow. they could also subscribe to the newsletter there. They could they'll they'll okay. find it on, on on my profile page and. Awesome. Okay. Yes. Great. Yeah. Subscribe to the newsletter. That would be great.
0: I'll be doing that this afternoon.
2: <laughs> Fabulous.
0: <laughs> yes. I already
1: am a subscriber. <laughs> I didn't know about it until this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and that's that's such mm-hmm. hopeful work. It's such hopeful work. Yes. And we'll continue the conversation. I was thinking it would be fun to have you back, you know, and in a few months, and you can tell us what you're continuing to learn, and maybe do an audio version of your of your newsletter for one of them, and say, "Hey, do these things." I loved your last one, which was about the energy audit. I thought that it's so practical, you know.
2: Oh, right, right. doing yeah. the energy audit, and yeah, and, I thought yeah.
1: that was really, really interesting, and such a. I don't want to say it's not without work. People have, you have to put a little work into it. You have to, you know, make a few phone calls. And it's really doable. It's very doable if people want to do it.
2: It's really doable. And there's actually also a lot of very good and sometimes free resources out there that'll come and help you out with that. I mean, that's one of the things in the work, in the newsletter is that uh, rather than just simply feeding facts and whatever, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, Kind Of storytelling and using myself as a guinea pig as I'm yeah. trying to do my own changes, and yeah. so
1: yeah, I that love that. Was,
2: that was uh, part of my own sort of research and on uh, a lot of these things that I, that I bring in there. So, yeah, I don't know I if you
0: be. listen to TED Talks at all, but or sure. watch them, but this is almost sounding like a TED Talk moment. You know, <laughs> sounds like you've got
2: some work to do.
0: I really think that would be awesome to see you on TEDx. Yeah, that's
1: cool. Yeah.
2: Well, fabulous. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take that up as a Pepsi challenge. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for inspiring us today, Jeff, and showing us the role of leadership and also that we can make a difference. I think it, it brings hope. And with that hope comes motivation and energy to actually do something different. It's been absolutely exactly. delightful. I
0: have loved this interview. So it's just It's exactly where we want
1: to be right now,
0: so thank you for that.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure, and I appreciate you inviting me on.
1: Yeah. Take care.
2: All right.
0: Bye. Ciao. Bye-bye. That was so much fun, Crystal. I I just had a blast. Jeff is delightful, and I thought his message was so important right now. It's nice to know that that he's taking a, a seasoned approach to this, and it's reaching... Looks like all ages. It's very cool. Yeah,
1: I loved it. I, it's so thoughtful and coming from such a place of his own passion, mm-hmm. and to help and helping all of us, right? To to be actually be able to take some action and yeah. and to really make a difference. And one of the things that I took out of that interview that I really loved is he said, "I want to be a non anxious presence yes. in an anxious situation." I thought, "Wow, if we can all." sort of strive to do that, what a better world we'd have. You are so right about that. I I really loved
0: the idea that, you know, the way he the way he told his story, it really did show the thread. You know, okay. that red thread that goes from his youth when he was really looking at Earth Day for the first time, right? Yeah. Or, and and then to kind of evolved that through the years. Whether you get off that path for a while or not, he always came back. So to me, that's um, that's encouraging. That's, yeah. that's a, something to be hopeful about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's keep that conversation going. If you have questions or comments about the show, you can find us on all our social media channels at lifting underscore leaders. There are so many exceptional podcasts coming up, more with fantastic guests, so Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you know someone who would find this episode inspiring, share it with them, text them, email them, or take a screenshot and share it in your Instagram and tag us at lifting underscore leaders. If you'd like to know more about us, our guests, or the show, please go to our website at liftingleaderspodcast.com. You'll find show notes there as well. If you're looking for help in developing your leaders or would like a growth opportunity yourself through leader coaching, please contact us through our website at www.LiftingLeadersPodcast.com. Thank you to Ari Chance Roberts for his technical support of our show. And last, please subscribe to our podcast. It is absolutely free. Thank you so much, Crystal, for co-hosting this session and for bringing Jeff to us. That was just a, a really fun day. Thank you, Trisha. It really was. Find ways every day to lift each other up. Have a great week.
1: Bye.